In the gospel reading, we have the famous story of St. Thomas, or Doubting Thomas, as he has unfortunately come to be known. Thomas says that he won't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead unless he can touch the wounds of his body, so that he can be sure that this person claiming to be Jesus Christ is not some lookalike, but really his teacher was crucified by the Romans. We are tempted, I think, to focus on the last line of the dialogue where Jesus says to Thomas, have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. We take that as a kind of rebuke to Thomas's alleged unbelief. But look at things from Thomas's perspective. His brother's apostles told him that the week before they were hiding out in a locked room because they were afraid of the Jews. At that moment, the risen Christ appeared to them in the flesh, thus giving proof that he had conquered death, which is incredible enough. But on top of that, he gave them a new share in his mission. Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. Yet a week later, when Thomas was now with them, Jesus again had to pass through a locked door because the apostles were still hiding out in fear. They've seen the resurrected Christ, yet they are still cowering away behind closed doors. Well, of course Thomas would be skeptical. His brother apostles aren't acting like one whose teacher has conquered death, who fulfilled his exact promises that in three days he would be raised up. Instead, the other ten apostles are acting no differently than they were before Jesus' first appearance to them, still hiding out in a locked room for fear of the Jews. So it's no wonder that Thomas had his doubts. If what his brothers was telling him was true, he, they seemed strangely unaffected. They were still hiding, still fearful, still just trying to protect themselves. Rather, having seen the risen Lord, they should have been out there boldly proclaiming the kingdom going out into the streets and offering people this new sacrament of forgiveness that they had now been entrusted with. Going out and telling everyone that these corrupt Jewish leaders and their Roman overlords really have no power at all because they have nothing in comparison to the Christ of God who has conquered the eternal grave. A couple of Super Bowls ago, Budweiser ran a commercial where they tried to claw back some of the market from people falling in love with all of these craft beers and microbrews that are out there now. So it showed a scene with a bunch of people raising their Budweiser's in a bar, having a big party with the subtitle, It's for Drinking. Then it cuts to a scene showing some hipster dudes sitting around a table, sniffing and sipping their microbrews like a feet wine snobs, and the subtitle, Not Dissecting. It's a good analogy for our faith, even if, like me, you are partial to microbrews. Our faith isn't something that's meant just to be quietly pondered. It's not just our little safety blanket. Our faith is meant to be proclaimed from the rooftops. It's meant to be shared. Because it's meant to raise us above the fear of the powers and principalities of this world. We shouldn't be afraid of the consequences of openly living and sharing our faith because we should have the resurrection in our heart at all times. In the first reading from Acts, we finally see the church in mission. The apostles have finally gotten their act together. They are out there proclaiming our Lord to everyone who would listen. 
baptizing, breaking the bread, forgiving sins, healing the sick, and feeding the poor. They're no longer concerned about who or what is against them. Instead, they know what they are for because they know who they are for. This person is Jesus Christ. Today is Divine Mercy Sunday. One of the things that we most naturally focus on is receiving the plenary indulgence, which I just spoke of. And that's important because very often it's our sins and the cumulative effect of our sins that prevents us from having the missionary zeal that we are meant to have. It breeds the kind of fear that kept the apostles behind locked doors even after they had experienced the risen Christ. But Divine Mercy Sunday should not be the day in which we only receive mercy from God. Rather, mercy must be something that, like the first apostles, we take out into the streets. Because mercy is at the heart of our Christian faith, not just in what we receive from God, but in what we are able to give to others. Our world is so horribly divided on so many things. Between nations, within nations, in our communities, sadly sometimes even in our families. The only way these divisions will be reconciled is through each of us becoming a channel of divine mercy. As Christians, as sons and daughters of the church, we need to be the ones who can show the world what true mercy means. Imagine if each one of us left here and went to find one situation that we are involved in where we need reconciliation with another. Maybe it's a business or working relationship that went south, or maybe friends or family members that we've cut ties with. And what if we tried to fix that situation by being an instrument of divine mercy? Not trying to win, not trying to get our point across, not trying to hold the other accountable, not trying to get the last word in, but following the Beatitudes of our Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful. In the locked room, our Lord breathed on the apostles, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. The power that he was giving them was by its nature meant to be shared. Yes, in a specific sense, the formal power of absolution of sins rests with the apostles and their ordained successors. But the mission of spreading mercy is for all of the baptized. It's the mission that Jesus came to preach. It's the mission for which the church was created. Listen to the words of Pope Francis. We need constantly to contemplate the mystery of mercy. It's the wellspring of joy, serenity, and peace. Our salvation depends on it. It reveals the very mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. It's the ultimate and supreme act by which God comes to meet us. It's the fundamental law that dwells in the heart of every person who sincerely looks in the eyes of his brothers and sisters in this path of life. It's the bridge that connects God and man, opening our hearts to the hope of being loved forever in spite of our sinfulness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.